everybody, it's David Pluff, December 19th. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Well, the first day, uh, full day, that Donald Trump has been an impeached president of the United States. Definitely uh, should have been impeached, in my view. I think, uh, you know, Democrats in Congress had no option, really, but to no matter the politics to pursue this. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see if polls move over the next few days and, and weeks. Um, obviously, how the Senate uh, decides to conduct the trial uh, will it be more of a sham trial, which seems to be McConnell's view now? What this does to the race, because uh, the trial's happening right as a lot of people in Iowa begin to make their decision on the caucuses. So we got a bunch of people who are going to be uh, in Washington um, as senators participating in the trial. I'm going to talk to our guest today who's who's running Amy Klobuchar's campaign about uh, that unique challenge, and, and maybe there's some opportunities there. We have a debate tonight. As I mentioned last night, it's going to be fascinating to see just this close to the holidays with impeachment just happening, um, how much attention it gets. But that may ultimately decide to what happens on the stage. So if somebody has a big moment or there's a big conflict, um, that'll punch through. Uh, You know, I think if it's a a relatively genteel debate with no exceptional moment or two, um, I'm I'm not sure it it has much effect on the race. It will be fascinating to see in the debate uh, tonight uh, how much uh, fire Mayor Pete takes. You know, Joe Biden also, you know, um, people took a gentle on him the last couple of debates, but he has um, sort of solidified his standing and, and looks more like a plausible nominee now. So that'll be uh, interesting. Uh, Bernie Sanders as well has kind of uh, strengthened his position a little bit. So be interesting to see the strategies of these campaigns. And, you know, that's what's key in any, for any debate is not just prepare for the questions you're going to get and give a good answer. Like, what's your strategy? What are you trying to accomplish? Is there an issue you're trying to push? Is there a contrast with your opponent or the field you're trying to drive? Are you are you trying to create a moment that, you know, you can surf on um, for a few days heading into the holidays? So um, that's what I'll be watching as a practitioner is, you know, who has both the best strategy and, and who executed on it. Our guest today is going to be uh, Justin Bowen, who is running A.B. Klobuchar's campaign, has been with her really since the very beginning, all the way back to 04. Um, has run um, many of her races, including her successful uh, U.S. Senate race in in 2012. And, you know, she is somebody who, uh, if you believe polls and if you believe some of the the chatter um, out of Iowa, um, you know, has some momentum going here. And so, you know, we're going to go deep into Iowa, Justin, and and obviously that's what matters now. Um, Bloomberg's the one person who's trying to to win the nomination, not doing well in the early states. But for so many of the candidates, I do even argue all the candidates, if you vastly underperform in Iowa, it doesn't mean you have to win. Um, some candidates, I think, will be disadvantaged if they don't win. But if you vastly underperform in Iowa, um, you know, it's just hard to recover from, now, particularly with a field this big uh, where you're going to have, you know, maybe a couple of candidates, not just one coming out of Iowa with outsized momentum. So someone like Amy Klobuchar, who is, you know, clearly spending time in other parts of the country, but she has so much riding on Iowa. And, you know, the question is, does she have to come in the top three? Does she have to finish ahead of Joe Biden and or Mayor Pete? The ordering of these things, for those of you who've listened to this podcast, understand how important that is. It's not just how well you do, but who's kind of in the pack with you. Uh, and is that kind of to your liking uh, moving forward? Meaning, you know, there may be some candidates who are still alive, you know, after New Hampshire or South Carolina um, that aren't really in your lane, um, you know, not really competitive for the voters you want to want to acquire. And, and maybe some of the candidates who were competitors 
for your potential support um, have underperformed and dropped out. So candidates don't have any, and campaigns have little control over that, but that's so important to keep in mind, not just kind of where candidates land, but you know who they're landing with, who did well, who did poorly, uh, and how does that affect the race. So we're going to go deep with Justin on um, their view of the race in Iowa and their strategy in Iowa. Uh, if Amy Klobuchar does well in Iowa, well enough that she may have a credible pathway going forward, you know, there's a big tax on every campaign, particularly campaigns, though, that that aren't as resourced well as some of the others. How do they put together the money and the organization so that, you know, it's not just a one-hit wonder. They're able to leverage Iowa into New Hampshire, then into Nevada, into South Carolina. And, and the most challenging part of the calendar, then, kind of that gauntlet you got to run in, in March with all the big states voting all over the country really does turn into a, a series of, of national primaries over three Tuesdays. And then talk to Justin a little bit about the general election. Uh, Klobuchar is making a very a very strong and, and clear pitch about her electability. She's got a new TV ad up in Iowa uh, reinforcing that and talk about why they think that their electability message both can work and in reality where they think they can compete with Trump and uh, from a state perspective and demographic perspective where Klobuchar, from their view, uh, maybe stronger than the rest of the field. So with Amy Klobuchar rising, I'm, I'm really excited to have Justin on the program today and, and hear a little bit about their plan for the next few weeks and why they think they may come out of Iowa with the kind of momentum to be uh, in the conversation as a plausible Democratic nominee. Justin Bowen, Senator Amy Klobuchar's campaign manager. Uh, thanks for spending some time uh, on Campaign HQ. Thanks for having me, David. So we are, uh, I think most of America, a lot of the world, uh, you know, thinks we're getting very close to the holidays. But for those of you in the 2020 presidential campaign, you're getting closer and closer to Iowa. Um, so you listen, there's there's polls out there that suggest that uh, your candidate, uh, Senator Klobuchar, has some momentum in Iowa. I think some reporters have been on the ground are capturing that. Let's just start with that. Like, what are you seeing in Iowa? And is that true? Uh, and if you guys are moving a little bit... Um, uh, fill us in a little bit about why that is and, and what you're seeing to um, to suggest that that's happening. Yeah, I, I think there definitely has been some movement in Iowa. We've been building there since the beginning of the campaign. I mean, when Amy first announced, it was kind of her uh, vision for our organization that we were going to invest heavily in uh, grassroots organizing. We were going to put people on the ground. And so we staffed up early on in both Iowa and New Hampshire, um, and we've spent a lot of time there. And um, I think that it's beginning to pay off. I think that uh, her debate performances since the fall when we were able to kind of whittle the field down a little bit and she was able to deliver her message uh, also helped with that. Um, but I think that just the hard work is, is, is paying off. We've got a great team there. You know the work that can be done in, in, in Iowa and, and has to be done are the conversations it's it's going there it's visiting all 97 or all 99 counties we're doing 27 of them uh next week uh on a four-day swing and, and and so i think that our brand of politics amy's personality and the team have begun to connect with with iowa voters i mean we came into this race with uh not not the same level of uh, of name id uh as some of the other candidates and so we've had to really invest and introduce uh, voters to amy and i think it's beginning to beginning to pay off so let's talk a little bit about, um, you've got the 27-county tour uh, right after the debate, right? So will she fly from from California to Iowa? That's right, yep. She'll wake up, we'll do some morning TV after the debate, and then we'll fly to Iowa, get on the bus, and do the 27 counties. 
Well, that's an incredibly intense schedule. So, you know, you're doing what, six, seven events a day. So I want to talk a little bit about the strategy that may underlie that. So um, uh, for those who don't uh, know, although we've talked about it on this show, there's 99 counties in Iowa. And I think while every candidate says, I want to do well in all 99, you know, we're getting to the point of the race where you have to make some hard decisions about allocation of candidate time, staff time, you know, your dollars. And, you know, some candidates are going to end up, you know, uh, assuming that, you know, there's, you know, maybe it's some of the bigger urban counties or it's the river counties around uh, Iowa and Illinois that have decent population that they're going to focus. But you guys clearly, my sense is, um, want to be competitive in all 99. And, and my, my guess is you think that's a strength, right? Which is, of course, maybe you'll outperform on the, on the northern, in the northern part of the state uh, on the Minnesota-Iowa border. But you think you can be competitive everywhere. And ultimately, even if you're not, you know, in the top two, let's say, in, in, in uh, Polk County where Des Moines is or Johnson County where Iowa City is, maybe you will be. But if you're not, you're deep everywhere. Um, and, you know, those numbers add up. So, so speak a little bit about that. Um, the strategy, you know, in these closing weeks and how you guys see if you have a good caucus night, what's going to contribute to that? Well, so I think there's a couple of things. One, this is the way that Amy has always campaigned. Um, you know, I've worked for her since uh, 2004. I managed her race in, in 2012. And the way we've always done it is we've gone everywhere. We've met people where they are. We've talked to them. We've had the conversations and we've kind of built the relationships. And so I think that Inherently, it's kind of just in in her blood and as the way that she campaigns. I also think that uh, that's the way that Iowans are used to to meeting and getting to know presidential candidates. And so I think there's a real advantage in us going to places that some of the other campaigns aren't going to. I, I think that Amy's message of bringing the country kind of back together and her history uh, on the Agriculture Committee and some of the work that she's done as a senator from Minnesota is going to resonate with folks there. And so a lot of it is just who she is. I mean, when... Uh, she visits all of uh, Minnesota's 87 counties every year um, that she's been in the Senate. Um, and so, you know, she made an early commitment that she wanted to do this because I think two things. One, there's a strategic political advantage, obviously, of kind of going to places and meeting people where they're at. But there's also you hear from voters uh, and caucus goers on what matters to them. And uh, it might be different than uh, than the pollsters are able to pick up or, or the folks in Polk County are saying. And so you can, can start incorporating some of that stuff into your into your messaging. And I also think, you know, we're going to need people on the ground being advocates for Amy on caucus night. And the best way to to really get them solidly in your corner, I think, is to kind of look them in the eye, make that pitch in person and get them over on your side. And so so from the outset, I think even on our first trip down to Iowa, Amy said she was going to, going to visit all 99. We'll be at 96 at the end of the weekend or end of the day Monday, I guess. And then we'll finish the 99th you know, before the end of the year. And will you be the only candidate to do all 99? Uh, we'll be the only candidate that's on the debate stage tomorrow night that will, that will do all 99, I believe. That do it. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So Delaney might've done it. Yeah. But yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, what do you guys, um, you know, as we're getting closer and I've, I've asked some of your, um, fellow managers this question, um, but you know, we're getting closer now. Do you, what's your best sense of where turnout's going to be on caucus night? I mean, we're modeling it to go over the 2008 number, over 240,000, uh, caucus goers. I think that, like that year, there was a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm this year, and, and um, I think that President Obama and Secretary Clinton uh, kind of drove enthusiasm, uh, but so did George Bush at the time. And I think what we're seeing now is that Trump is, is going to be the greatest uh, driver of Democratic turnout we've seen in a long time. And so there's going to be disenfranchised 
Democrats as well as I think independents and moderate Republicans that maybe voted for him or sat on the sidelines last time that are going to participate in the caucus this time around. And so I think we're uh, we're planning on, on, on numbers north of the 240,000. And so as you guys look at what you need to do with a turnout of that size, presumably are you, are you looking at, you mentioned Republicans, maybe some folks who hadn't caucused, are you fishing in waters where there's some untraditional Cox attenders that you think might uniquely be attracted to Senator Klobuchar? Yeah, I mean, I think that for all the, the recent campaigns where folks have been successful in Iowa caucus, you have to bring new people to the table. And part of that is this 99-county tour and, and going to places that, that don't always see Democratic campaigns and candidates. Um, you know, we, we for example, have uh, gotten the endorsement of Andy McKean, who was a former Republican uh, rep uh, who changed parties at the end of last year became a Democrat and has endorsed Amy. And I think there's a lot of uh, voters that feel like the direction of the country is not going uh, the way that they expected and are, are disappointed and are frustrated and um, maybe haven't participated in a Democratic caucus before, but are going to give Amy a look. The other thing is, you know, everywhere I've gone, and you probably hear this too because you're talking to people on the ground all the time, the most important thing that they say is, I want someone that can beat Donald Trump. And I think Amy, frankly, has the best record uh, when it comes to winning in places that Republicans or President Trump has won. I mean, you know, we won uh, 42 counties that Trump won in Minnesota. She won all uh, eight congressional districts, including districts that Trump won by double digits last year. And she did incredibly well in, in deep blue districts. I mean, we had the highest vote totals in the 5th Congressional District, where Ilhan Omar is our member of Congress there. So I think that uh, that argument is is also going to resonate with voters, uh, not just in rural counties, but in the suburbs and in Polk County. Um, and I think that um, the closer we get to the actual caucus night, people are going to be thinking more and more about who's the person I want to have on the debate stage against Donald Trump, who's the person that I want to have taking him on in November. And I also think that for people in Iowa that are concerned about, you know, keeping the U.S. House, winning the Senate, keeping their um, uh, winning back legislative majorities there. I mean, Amy has got a track record of winning, and when she's on the top of the ticket, we flip the Minnesota legislature, we pick up congressional seats. That's why we've got more legislative endorsements of former and current members of the uh, Iowa legislature than any of the other candidates. Um, so I, I think all of that feeds into our strengths. Right. So what's fascinating, and I just saw an ad you guys released where you are, you know, really um, reinforcing her message about both electability and she thinks she can bring the country together. What's fascinating thing for your campaign, and, you know, maybe this will play out a little bit on the debate stage, but it'll certainly play out in the closing weeks in Iowa, is you've got an electability message um, where, you know, I guess every candidate is is making the claim that they're the best, but, you know, Vice President Biden also is emphasizing that kind of bringing the country together. Um, you know, that's something that Mayor Pete um, is stressing quite a bit in addition to his Midwestern roots. So how much do you guys factor that in? Like there are these campaigns within a campaign, right? So as you answer that, do you believe that we're still at the point? So you mentioned you think turnout's going to be north of 240. You know, maybe it even goes significantly higher than that. Do you think that we're still at the point where half 60% of those folks are still fluid? They're still, they're still not firmly decided on who they're going to caucus for. So uh, I guess... You know, that's connected to the question of, you know, if, if there's there are tens of thousands of them that are ultimately going to make a decision on electability, you know, um, while you're trying to, I think, position yourself vis-a-vis -vis the field, it may be a bunch of people are going to decide between you and uh, Vice President Biden on that question. So how do you guys factor that into your strategy? 
I think you know all these polls have shown that there's a lot of fluidity in the in the electorate, and I think that we're going to continue to see movement. I mean, you know, you you remember the 08 cycle. You know, I think Edwards and and Clinton were one two uh, for most of that cycle, and and you guys came came on strong at the end, and obviously won there. We saw that as well in 04 where Dean and Gephardt were near the top, and I think uh, Kerry and, and Edwards came out of out of nowhere from from high single digits and and got into the 30s. And and I think that that's what we're going to see again here is as people head into the holidays, get closer to caucus, they're going to really take a look at who's the most electable, who's the most like them, and who do they think can really carry not only uh, take on Donald Trump, but bring the country together. And so, so I think there is some kind of uh, campaign within the campaign stuff. I mean, but but if you've, and I'm sure you've looked at these crosstabs, the second choices uh, for lots of these candidates don't make a lot of ideological sense necessarily. I mean, oftentimes you're seeing people that are Bernie one, Bloomberg two, or uh, Amy one, uh, Warren two, and and so so I think a lot of it, it has to do with you know way that the campaigns are presenting themselves the the on-the-ground uh, organization, and there'll be a lot of late deciders, as there always are uh, in Iowa. I'm curious, by the way, with this bus tour, so you guys are really um, redlining things heading into to the holidays. Um, for your campaign, both your national um, staff uh, and then folks in states like Iowa, um, folks getting a day off, two days off, kind of what's your approach is uh, you, you deal with the fact that we've got holidays, people want to see their family, but, you know, you also got the caucuses looming. Yep. Uh, well, we've got a, just an incredible team and incredibly dedicated group of people, both in, in Iowa and New Hampshire, the other early states and, and around the country. So I've been very lucky uh, to work with the great the great crew that, that we have. Uh, we are going to be down for Christmas, so we've got a few days off there. Uh, and so people are going to be able to take a little bit of time down and, and then get back at it. But but, you know, I've been heartened by how eager people are to just keep working. I mean, you know, th- this is such an incredible opportunity that we have uh, as a campaign in such an important time in our country. Folks have not told me that they need they need time off. They want to they want to uh, push hard and get over the finish line. Uh, speaking of finish line, where are you guys on all your precinct captains? What What percentage of the precincts? do you have filled and operational? Uh, I, you know, I looked at the numbers last night. We're uh, a little bit further ahead of where uh, we had projected. We're not there yet, but I feel very good and very confident uh, that we're going to, we're going to get there, you know, so we're going to get to our number by, by caucus night. I, I don't know the exact percentage we're at today, but we just recently hired um, Norm Sturzenbach, who was the former ED of the Iowa Democratic Party. He was uh, Beto's Iowa State Director and is kind of considered one of the godfathers of the Iowa caucus, helped write the rules. And Norm has done just a tremendous job uh, building out that program for us. And we're lucky to have him. And I think we're going to be in a we're in a great position by the time we get to caucus night. No, that was a really great recruit for you guys. So um, I want to kind of jump post-Iowa, but, but um, this question is connected to that. So as you guys look at scenarios where you leave Iowa with a plausible chance to be the Democratic nominee, which is different than we did well or we surpassed expectations. But And we'll talk about some of the challenges for any candidate, uh, but you guys specifically post-Iowa. I mean, how important is it that you finish ahead of both Biden or Mayor Pete? Or is that less important than being in the top three? And again, I know that, you know, you guys are going to say, listen, we're just trying to get as many people in the database for Amy as possible and make sure they turn out. I get that, you know, having been there. But but you must have some sense of what gives you the propulsion you need out of Iowa 
to give you a real credible shot at, at standing on the stage uh, in Milwaukee as our, as our nominee. I mean, it's really, you know, this is sound like a dodge, but it, I think is an honest answer. It's really tough to tell without knowing what the makeup of that top tier is and who's where. So, you know, we're concentrating on on obviously doing as, the best we can and kind of peaking on caucus night and, and driving towards that. I don't know. It's too tough to tell exactly where we need to be and who needs to be below us and, and, and how the, all that's going to shake out. I mean, so much of this is about, as you know, the expectations on caucus night going in and, and, and where you come out. And then you need to be able to hit the ground running in New Hampshire. And, and you know, we've got a we've got a great team there as well. And I feel like that state uh, matches up nicely for Amy uh, also, uh, you know, with it being an open primary and voters in, in parts of New Hampshire looking a lot like politically uh, a lot like the the voters in, in parts of Minnesota. And so I think that we've got a real opportunity to kind of have a one-two punch coming out of the first two states. So let's let's talk about a scenario where you, you, you've done what you need to do in Iowa. And I agree. I think right now we don't know what that is. You know, it could be a three, but the ordering's to your liking and you guys come out with huge momentum or maybe you top two. But You've done that. I actually want to focus a little bit less on on New Hampshire, Nevada, and and South Carolina. Obviously, if you've come out of Iowa with requisite momentum, you know, you want to continue to do well in those states. It seems to me, and and this is true, you know, even for the candidates who've had easier time raising money, um, you know, running, you know, most of the country uh, votes in March um, and most of the delegates are awarded. You've also got the added complication of Mayor Bloomberg spending ultimately hundreds of millions of dollars kind of planting his flag on on March 3rd, March 10th, and March 17th. So how are you guys so, – so if you really do great in Iowa, maybe you win, you come in top two, you know, money will come and others will drop out and you'll be able to recruit some of their staff and get their political support. But, but you know, people are voting early starting in February. So, so what are you doing now uh, knowing that you kind of put all your chips on, on – uh, you know, Iowa, what are you doing now to prepare yourself for March and April so that if you do well in Iowa, you know, you give your best chance uh, possible to fully maximize the return on that? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that we've, we haven't put all of our chips in Iowa and that's why we've been campaigning all over the country. I mean, we've done events in Arkansas, Colorado, Texas, California, Massachusetts, Virginia, Minnesota, obviously, all Super Tuesday states we've had. Uh, canvassers on the ground in in 15 states. Uh, we've done uh, head conversations over the phone or or by text message in almost 30 states. And so we've been uh, building the organization we're going to need to have to hit the ground running after the first four. Um, you know, we've got a, a dedicated staff within the team that's focusing on Super Tuesday, and we're building out plans for those states. You know, it's nice to have Minnesota on the calendar there. And I think that, um, you know, I think Tennessee, um, uh, Virginia are places where, where Amy could do it well. We had an event in Colorado last week, uh, which was, we had a huge turnout there. And so, you know, this is this is hard and, and you kind of got to do one thing first before you can get to the next. And some of it, you just have to be, have good plans in place and be ready to uh, to just jump on the rocket ship as it's flying by. But, you know, we, we have not run a Iowa-only campaign. I mean, this was the other thing that that Amy wanted to make sure that we did from the outset was run a national campaign. And that's why we've, you know, done multiple events in Florida and California. And, and so we've, we've, we've had those, you know, events on the ground and we've been having conversations with voters in those states so that we can continue to build on the momentum if we, if we do what we need to do in the first four. 
So I'm curious, um, and this is, uh, you know, not just with your Amy Klobuchar hat on, but, you know, just as a, a skilled operative, do you think because of, you know, the prevalence of social media, how much attention the primary gets that, you know, because I think, you know, it wasn't too long ago we'd look at races and say, you know, one of the reasons you want to do well in those early states is then you raise enough money to go do advertising and mail and, you know, the digital work you need to do. Do you think that's a little less important, meaning it's still important, but, you know, is it is it um, minimized a little bit um, because there's other ways to capture momentum? Um, and I'm curious, um, you know, Bloomberg obviously is doing something we've never seen before, which is skip the first four states and then, you know, spend an unprecedented amount of money on advertising. So I'm just curious how you view that. You know, my experience has been, uh, I think, particularly in the general, I mean, advertising still matters, whether it's, um, you know, digitally or, or television or radio, but it's a little less important than like in a senator governor's race, just because you're getting, you know, wall to wall coverage and voters are taking it seriously. How do you guys view that? Obviously, you're going to want to raise as much money as you can if you do well in, in Iowa, New Hampshire. But but uh, is it the whole ball game, or, or do you think there's other ways to to build and sustain momentum? Well, I think I think presidential campaigns are unique when it comes to ad spending. It's not the candidate or the campaign that spends the most that wins. Uh, because there's just so much earned media uh, and cable news coverage that comes along with it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Jeb Bush outspent the Republican field last time, and look what that got him. And we've been we've seen in the in, in over the summer kind of a correlation between uh, how much uh, news coverage campaigns get and where they are in the polls. And so I think that that earned media is still incredibly important in the stories that come out of those early states. And so, so I think you can make up for uh, some of the deficit on on the spending on television advertising by doing well in those early places. And and so I think it still definitely matters. And so I don't think that, that has fundamentally changed. There are you know different ways to to connect with people, and and you've got to you got to meet them where they're at using digital now, which is which is different than it was even four years ago. But I, I still think that there's so much that comes along with winning in those in those early states that that just still matters so much. So do you think, um, Justin, uh, you know, you um, hope this is the case, uh, maybe you even expect it to be the case that that once we get clear of, of March 17th, um, you know, which again is a, a large number of, of large states voting, you know, Maybe we'll have a candidate, and your view might be that it's Amy Klobuchar, but do you think that it's likely this race breaks in a way that that the morning of March 18th, um, we have a clear front runner, um, somebody who's built enough of a pledge delegate lead that it's going to be really, really hard to um, to see that change? Or do you think it's more likely that we've got three or four candidates all kind of bumping around 18, 20, 22 percent in terms of delegates? Um, and this this potentially goes all the way till June, much less the convention. It's a great question. Um, you know, historically speaking, of course, in the modern era, we we don't have broker conventions in in modern politics, and and so it would be uh, incredibly unique. But this is a different uh, field, um, and so I think there is a potential for that. Um, I mean, we've got a couple of candidates with uh, personal deep pockets. You know, Senator Sanders has has been able to raise. Uh, show that he can raise a lot of money, and so it usually uh, campaigns end when when they run out of money, uh, and so there's there's not going to probably be that same reason uh, for a couple of the campaigns. So I think there's a chance that we've got two or three or four campaigns that can still see a path to victory, or at least 
a path to a, a to a broker convention. But you know, it's way too early to tell. I think we'll have a far better sense after the first four. I don't even think we need to. Uh, we'll know where things stand even before Super Tuesday. I think we'll have a better idea at least. Right. Right. So. Um you probably um, are the operative that um, knows Minnesota best these days. So I'm, I'm curious, when you think about the general election, uh, clearly Minnesota was very close last time in the presidential election. Uh, the Trump campaign seems intent on making it a core battleground. Is there a scenario where the Democratic nominee could win, let's say, both Wisconsin and Michigan and still lose Minnesota? And I, I ask that just because you know, uh, close doesn't matter in the Electoral College. You have to win. And and is there a chance that Minnesota could become a tipping point state um, as opposed to saying, well, if Trump wins it, it means he's probably won, you know, over 300 electoral votes. How, how do you assess Minnesota uh, in the general election? Well, I think if you ask the Trump campaign, they'd say, I mean, it, it is their most important potential pickup state. I mean, that that is the place where they are investing uh, tens of millions of dollars. They've had folks on the ground there for over a year. The president was recently in Minneapolis, the vice president's been, I think they've, they've been combined four times in the last year and a half. And so they, they're investing heavily in winning uh, the state. And, and I don't see a scenario where we've got a candidate that can't win in Minnesota, but wins in Wisconsin and Michigan. So I, I think that if if we've picked up those two, Wisconsin and Michigan, we're gonna we're gonna win in Minnesota. If we're in trouble in Minnesota, then President Trump's gonna get reelected. Right. No, I think that's a really smart assessment. Uh, so if Amy Klobuchar is our nominee, um, talk about the Electoral College, the states you think will be in play. Um, you know where you think she's got outsized strength. Uh, are there some stretch states that you think she might? be able to either uniquely add to the core battleground map or places where, you know, maybe she'd be less strong. I'm just curious, because um, ultimately that's what matters here, which is where, where are the war zones that are going to determine this? So, and, and I know you guys are nose down and just thinking about the primary, but obviously you probably get asked this in Iowa, right? Because folks are deeply, um, you know, concerned that we nominate somebody who can win. So kind of what's your view of the Electoral College map if it's Klobuchar v. Trump? Yeah, I think that the places that that Amy's done well in Minnesota, the counties that are kind of lookalikes are are lots of the the counties in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Ohio. I mean, those are the those are the places, those are the voters that that feel like they've been left behind by the economy, um, that feel like um, they've been abandoned in some cases by the Democratic Party, in some cases by the Republican Party, and and so. That's where I think we would spend a lot of our time. I think we'll shoot also places where she do particularly well. And we've always done well, um, always had good crowds in, in some of the other places in the West. And when Amy goes to, to Colorado and, and Arizona, we've always had big turnouts. And, and um, you know, I think that Nevada is is another place that we, we've done well in. But, but, you know, being from the Midwest, I think, matters to voters in the Midwest. Uh, being able to understand you know, where they're coming from and and the struggles in their lives and and having plan and plans that that can get uh, implemented, uh, which is something that Amy is, I think, also particularly uh, strong at, kind of navigating navigating the Senate and, and implementing things that actually make a difference in people's lives. And so, so I think that those those Midwest uh, blue wall states are places that that Amy would do particularly well in. And how about you know states that. Because I don't think we want to head into an election where we have to win every battleground target. So Arizona, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia. What, what's your view of, of Amy Klobuchar's ability to put those really in play where we'd have a credible chance at, at winning or keeping it super close? 
Well, I think that we've seen uh, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida places that Democrats can win and won congressional races in the in the last midterm. Should have won a gubernatorial race in in Georgia. Obviously, picked up big wins, and lots of them ran on agendas like Amy's talked about. I mean, we we just saw that Democrats win. Uh, gubernatorial races in Kentucky and Louisiana. And, and you know, the governors there, uh, their agendas mirrored, uh, in many cases, uh, much of what Amy has talked about. And and so I think that those are places that Democrats can win. But the, the way you win down there is is you actually deliver uh, reasonable solutions that can make a difference in people's lives. And um, I think that 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 will uh, will carry the day. And so I think those places we've, we, you know, we've got some real opportunities to win as well, and and Democrats have proven that we can win down there. So, so I I also think that those are in play. Like this will all come into much better focus as we get closer and into the summer, uh, and we know what the ticket looks like, and we know kind of what the landscape, uh, national landscape, is as well. So I think you know for us to win the White House back, you know we need a nominee who's, um, you know, got to do a few things. You know, let's just think about Wisconsin. You know, they have to win over some of the, you know, infamous Obama-Trump voters, right? Have to drive even a bigger margin in the suburbs, particularly with women in the Milwaukee suburbs. Um, So even outperform what Hillary did. You know, have to get young African-American men, um, you know, in Milwaukee to to register and vote and and get active and and really max out college campuses. So I think, um, you know, there's a view that Amy Klobuchar might be a really good candidate for the swing voters. Um, uh, which is obviously critically important, but you have to do both. You also have to drive turnout amongst young voters and infrequent voters and minority voters. And, you know, obviously you guys have to, had to do a little bit of this in, in your Minnesota races, but speak to why you think for, for Democrats that might be concerned about that, who say, I think Klobuchar would be good at swing voters, uh, particularly in the upper, uh, you know, in the Midwest and Pennsylvania, but might have a little bit more trouble driving the kind of huge turnout we need to compete with Trump's turnout surge. What's your guys' answer to that? Well, and I think that's exactly right. Look, we need to harness the energy of the Democratic base and turn out those voters, and we also need to deliver and turn out voters that that didn't vote for us last time, the the Obama-Trump voters. I mean, in uh, every one of Amy's statewide elections, she has had the highest vote totals in our most diverse congressional district, which is the 5th Congressional District, Congressman Ellison and Congresswoman Omar. Uh, We've had the highest voter turnout in the country uh, when Amy has been at the top of the ballot. And so Amy spends the time and does the work to get African-American voters uh, motivated and excited and behind her. And and that's what we've always done in Minnesota and we would do across the country. So I think you look, you look at her track record. I mean, it's there in black and white. You're a, you're a data guy. You know, this thing, we've always, um, we've delivered in those places and we will, we will when we're the nominee as well. Right. So, Justin, we're, this podcast comes out on Thursday morning, December 19th. Uh, by that point, Donald Trump will have been an impeached president. So um, what is going to be really interesting in January, and I think this is particularly um, challenging for you guys because you do have some momentum. You obviously want to capitalize on that. Um, time on the ground like you're doing on this 27-county tour is critical, but um, you and, and many of your other opponents are going to be um, in Washington, obviously, nothing's more important than to to be there for the trial and participate um, and and exercise your oath of office. But um, nothing you can do about that. But how do you view that um, vis-a-vis your strategy in Iowa in particular um, and some of the challenges and, and maybe there's some opportunities that it presents that I'm not aware of? 
Yeah, I mean, it, this is a unique challenge and it makes uh, in an already unique cycle. You know, one of the things that we've got going for us is, you know, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, Amy has more endorsements from current and former legislators in Iowa. So we've got some tremendous surrogates. We've got uh, great endorsements uh, from the folks in Minnesota, the governor of Minnesota, Senator Senator Smith, and a number of others that have all planned uh, to travel down and be advocates for Amy during during impeachment. Um, and then we're going to do teletown halls and uh, and Skype into events and, and kind of get creative about uh, ways that we can continue to engage with with Iowa voters. You know, this is why, you know, the investment in the field staff and the organizers on the ground are so important because uh, when Amy can't be there in person, we're going to still have uh, our team there having conversations and telling Amy's story. I also think that, you know, when the trial is taking place, it's going to be something that's going to obviously dominate the news. And so there'll be lots of Lots of coverage and eyeballs on Washington, D.C., and maybe not quite as much on what's going on in Iowa and New Hampshire, the other early states as well. But we've got a team of people that are that are working on that and that are ready to go there. And, you know, Amy's got a, a remarkable work ethic, having worked for her for a long time and, and with her. If we've got to jump on a plane to fly back to Iowa and do events and then fly back and participate in the trial, she'll do it. She's going to do whatever we need to do to make sure that we get our message out and and talk to as many of those potential caucus goers as as possible. I know we don't know for sure. Do you, I mean, as you guys anticipate this, kind of how long do you think the trial may be, or or how many days, or do you think she's going to have to spend in Washington that that otherwise she might be in Iowa? Uh, we're you know it's total guesswork right now, but but we're hearing rumors that it that it will start you know the first week of of January and, and hopefully be done by uh, Martin Luther King Day. Uh, so that would be, you know, two and a half weeks, somewhere in the, in that range. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's fascinating is during that period, you're going to have, you know, people like, uh, you know, Biden and, and Mayor Pete, you know, on the ground in Iowa. Then I think all you senators will be beaming into Iowa. As you mentioned, Skype and teletown halls, you'd be leveraging, I'm sure, cable news and other digital outlets. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, period. But if it's over by MLK Day or roughly that, that still gives you two weeks there. And I, I assume the last, you know, if that's true, and this may be true for all your competitors as well, who are senators, I mean, are you just going to bunker in Iowa from the end of the trial till caucus day? I think we'll be spending a lot of time there, would be would be my guess, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, Justin, it was, it was great uh, for you to spend some time with us and, and get a better sense of um, your thoughts about where we stand in Iowa, your strategy for the race uh, post-Iowa and, and, and post those first four states and hear a little bit about the general election. So uh, good luck on the bus tour. Rest up a little bit and uh, we'll be seeing you in Des Moines. Thanks, David. Really enjoyed it. A great conversation with Justin. Uh, got me tired hearing about their 27-county, four-day Iowa tour. It's a lot of road they're going to travel you know, kind of probably a 4 or 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. or 12 p.m., but I think that's smart. You know, get in as much work as you can before the holidays. Klobuchar has some momentum. Uh, people believe, their campaign certainly believes that, so get in front of as many people as you can and hopefully convince some of them to sign up. Helps you recruit precinct captains. And and then I think uh, in talking to Justin, it's clear that, you know, the, the impeachment trial that's going to happen in the Senate is going to deeply affect the strategy and tactics of all the candidates running who are from the Senate. Uh, Klobuchar may be more important than anybody else because she's got so much riding on Iowa. 
Uh, she's got momentum. She's got a strategy that's not about doing well in the 10 or 12 biggest population centers in Iowa. She's trying to do well in all 99 counties. So that takes time. And so it was interesting to hear from Justin about um, how they're going to leverage things like Skype and teletown halls and all their surrogates. But but that's going to be super challenging because even if the trial is over uh, by Martin Luther King Day or around then, um, you know, you've got some time then between now and then in February 3rd, but you've lost two, two and a half weeks, which is... Maybe Klobuchar won't do seven events a day, a candidate like Amy, but if she was going to do five events a day, that's like 80 events, um, you know, that you've lost. So it's not insignificant. Uh, Maybe it won't affect the race, but it will be interesting to see if candidates who aren't captive to Washington, uh, like Joe Biden and, and like Mayor Pete, can maybe get an advantage because they're just on the ground or maybe so much attention's on Washington, the the candidates who are there who are beaming into folks' uh, living rooms on Skype or or on MSNBC or other outlets, you know, uh, can advantage themselves. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see how that trial affects the race, uh, particularly uh, in Iowa. Um, Really interesting to hear from Justin about their view about how they might leverage a a strong Iowa performance. Um, Obviously, Amy Klobuchar doesn't have the financial base, uh, the online energy that some of the other candidates have. So can they really capitalize on a good Iowa showing or is that kind of the high watermark? And, you know, they seem to be putting a lot of time and thought into that, doing events around the country, uh, placing staff on the ground. But but that'll be a challenge. It's a, it's a problem you want to have. It's a good problem. But I think that'll be interesting for Klobuchar as if she exceeds expectations in Iowa, or maybe goes beyond that and pulls off a big surprise you know, is that the highlight of her campaign or is she really able to, to leverage that? And uh, and if she does what she needs to do in Iowa and that's where all their show, focus should be, you know, that's going to be a, a really important challenge and, and a tricky one for um, her. Also interesting to hear his view of the race. I, I think like some of the other managers I've spoken to, you know, historically, you know, we do believe that somebody emerges as the clear leader. Um, but Justin, like some of the other folks I've talked to uh, on this podcast, believe that it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could have, you know, three, four or five candidates all bunched together. Uh, and what that means, uh, means the primary goes longer. I don't necessarily means it goes to the convention, but it certainly could go uh, through June. Uh, and we obviously have a, a focused and determined opponent in Donald Trump who will uh, leverage that time advantage, I think, uh, very much to his benefit. So, you know, I, as someone who's desperately wants uh, us to nominate someone who's a strong candidate to be Trump, hope we have somebody emerge um, by the middle of March who, who even if the campaign goes on, in reality, they, they're they the de facto nominee. But I, I think, like Justin said, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that won't be the case. Uh, and we kind of have a, a bunch of people bunched up at, at, at the middle, kind of bumping against each other. And and then the thing goes on to April, if not June. So thanks for tuning in and uh, hope you're uh, following the race very closely. I'm sure many of you will be watching the debate tonight and following closely what's happening in Iowa uh, in the days and weeks to come.